Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. <laughs> um, we're going to uh, be continuing our series today on changes, changes, and um, this series is really fun for me because I enjoy philosophy and it's a, philo- a philosophical idea that nothing in the world is actually consistent. In fact, some people believe that the only absolute truth in the world is that everything changes. Nothing is the same. Um, and which really speaks volumes to our God because the Bible says that he never changes, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it, what... Even um, that uh, philosophy beckons the truth of God, that, and it only makes sense that the Creator is the only one who can stay the same, not the created. Um, with that being said, last week we talked about how we go through different seasons in the world. Um, how could I forget? I need to just stop what I'm doing and, and, uh, <laughs> and say... Mother's Day is today. Happy Mother's Day. Um, I don't see any moms in the room right now, um, unless you guys have been holding secrets. But, um, you know, Mother's Day is a very special day. Happy birthday, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. (laughs) Um, uh, Mother's Day is something so special because um, I was just telling the church right now that uh, Mother's Day is the highest attendance in American church, it's the highest attendance for church services in the year. And I really believe that's because moms typically just say, all I want for Mother's Day is for you to go to church with me. And it just speaks the heart of um, a heart of a mother that they truly just find joy in, um, in taking care of their kids and the happiness of their kids, um, typically. <laughs> um, all that being said, um, to everyone watching, Happy Mother's Day. We hope that you guys are blessed and that it is a special day for you. Um, and today, we're con- like I uh, was saying before, I needed, to, I needed to interrupt our service because it was a well-deserved Happy Mother's Day moment, right? Um, but we are continuing our series about changes. And today, we're going to be talking about relationships. And our title today is Relationship Status. We're not going to be talking uh, specifically about romantic relationships. We're talking about general relationships, okay? Um, I almost uh, refrain from putting relationship uh, uh, relationship as the, the title because I didn't want to give the wrong impression. Um, we're going to be talking about all, uh, all kinds of relationships today. And getting started, um, I want us to take a moment to to think about the idea of how relationships change over the years. Relationships change. And we typically, whenever that, that change causes people to have, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Man, I just don't look like a good preacher now. Uh, whenever, whenever people start to fade, whenever they start to um, lose touch, uh, typically the thought is like, well, you've changed. You've changed, one person has changed. And I think that uh, when we take a step back, we can realize that no relationship is meant to stay the same forever. No relationship is meant to stay the same forever. And I want you to even take a moment on Mother's Day to think about uh, Mary, the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, Even though she didn't remain a virgin, she uh, ended up, she married Joseph, and after Jesus was born, they... She was no longer a virgin, but she had other kids. Okay, so let's squash that. But think about how even her relationship to Jesus changed over the years. It went from literally weaning the Son of God, breastfeeding him, nurturing him, taking care of him, to uh, one day accidentally losing him in a crowd uh, to, to find him in the temple three days later, to all the way when Jesus was in, uh, in his 30s and, he, uh, and she asked him to perform his first miracle that is recorded in scripture. And that was when the, uh, they were at the wedding of Cana 
and they ran out of wine and Mary went up to Jesus and said, go and fix this problem for them. And Jesus responded to her saying, woman, this isn't my concern, <laughs> which is how I think any 30 year old man would respond given, <laughs> given the situation. And what happens next is a very incredible moment that we see how relationships change. She ignored Jesus and what he said and told the servants nearby, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> and so she was very disobedient to what Jesus had said. And see, in that moment, that relationship was still uh, mother and son. I'm your mother. You're going to listen to me. You're just going to do it. But that, even in that relationship, it changed once Jesus resurrected. It was no longer, I'm your mother. It is now, I'm your servant. Y'all get what I'm, I'm saying? So every relationship changes. And there's a very powerful relationship that I want us to take a moment to realize. And that's the relationship of Judas. Let's, think of, uh, let's take a moment to think about Judas, the betrayer. When we typically think about Judas, do we not all automatically just envision him with like hidden devil ears, you know? Don't we, like, just when we get this image of him, we imagine the secret, like, devil tail out of his robe. Like, how could the disciples not have seen that? And I want us to take a moment to look at this scripture. In John chapter 13, verses 21 through 25, it says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter motioned for him to ask, Who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? I want us to take a moment to realize what this implies. Not one of the disciples assumed it was Jesus. I'm sorry, it was Judas. Not one of the disciples assumed that Judas was the betrayer. They were, these disciples were walking with Jesus for about three years. And if you spend three years with anyone just in our world today, that's a, that's a pretty decent amount of time. Now take a moment to realize that they spent every day together, walking together, eating together, sleeping in the same area together. Like they spent every moment together. And so... You, you could even look at that three years as a very like exponential uh, amount of quality time compared to even just time we would think about today. Every single day for three years. And out of all that time together, there was nothing in Judas that caused them to think that he was the betrayer. That's a really interesting thought. And what it shows us is that relationships change. It shows us that, that relationships are inevitable to change and that sometimes it's for good and sometimes it's for bad. But no relationship is exactly the same over time. And they're not meant to be. Some will develop and grow while others will become stagnant and stink. Even when it comes to Judas, there's... there's complete theologies and, and thoughts about why he betrayed Jesus. Typically in church, it's thought that greed was Judas's sin, when in fact it was pride. A lot of people believe that, uh, a lot of uh, teachers would believe that Judas, the re main reason that motivated him to betray Jesus, was actually to try to force Jesus's hand to, to um, form his kingdom on earth. The, the disciples in that time had the idea that the Messiah was going to make an earthly kingdom and that Israel was going to become the, the greatest nation once again and that the Messiah was going to bring about. They had no concept that it was a spiritual kingdom that God was, was invoking through the Messiah. And so people believe that it was Judas actually trying to force Jesus' hand in starting his kingdom. Even Jesus said when the, they came to take him, don't, don't use your sword. Don't you realize that I could call on a legion of angels and they would come and save me? That's exactly what Judas was wanting to happen. He was wanting Jesus to just get started. He was trying to give him a push. I, he just needs me to help him out. He just needs me to 
to uh, he just needs to get started already. He's just nervous. And see, pride causes you to think that you know better, and you, it, which convinces you to do wrong things for the right reasons. But whenever you do wrong things for the right reasons, it's still the wrong thing, just like it was for Judas. And so taking a step away from focusing on Judas, the main idea is I want us to understand how incredibly, how, how incredible, how incredibly true it is that relationships change. And that they don't stay the same. When you look at each of the disciples, their relationships change. When you look at uh, just nearly every kind of type of relationship, whether it's a parent, a sibling, a friend, a romantic relationship, a marital relationship, spiritual relationship, an authoritative relationship, we must come to the realization that changing is a part of life and that it should be expected. If we don't adapt to the changes of relationships we have, then we will grow increasingly disappointed and frustrated as our unrealistic expectations continue to grow farther from reality. I want you to take, and I, you can look at nearly any example of a relationship to see how this is true. Imagine even like a uh, just a parental relationship. Let's look at, uh, say, a mother and a son. Son moves out of the house, but, but mom still wants son to be baby boy. He starts to grow up, become a man, gets, uh, gets married, but he's still, in mom's eyes, baby boy, and starts to still treat him like baby boy. All of a sudden, daughter-in-law starts getting frustrated with overbearing mom. Wait a minute, this sounds like a story for someone, right? <laughs> this is like one of the most common scenarios and what, what we're seeing is a conflict of expectations. Mom still wants grown man to be baby boy. New wife wants mom to be distant mother-in-law, <laughs> not mom who takes care of baby boy. And see, those, those expectations cause conflict when these relationships just simply change. And when we try to hold on to changed relationships, you can look at whatever relationship is coming to your mind and how frustrated you are with that relationship. And it's because you're trying to hold on to expectations that aren't true. You can, you can do this with just about any relationship. And, and I'll even take a step back because I really value marriage. I'm a married person and marriage is one of the hardest things that people uh, ever encounter. One of the hardest things that people encounter in life. And what happens is the relationship completely changes once it goes from dating to married. And there's a lot of disappointments, a lot of frustrations, and a lot of unspoken expectations that happen within that transition. Because a relationship change, and sometimes one person still expects it to be the same, and the other person goes so far beyond the change that it's even past the expectations that they should have set. Well, we're married now, so now I don't even have to try. <laughs> and the, the point I want us to get is that when we, when we recognize a change of relationships, we have to realize it to be happening. And most important relationship for us to look at is our relationship with God. And knowing that our relationship with God changes. It, your relationship with God will not be the same from the moment you first found Christ. And it shouldn't be. And if you, if, you, if you think that it is, you might have a, 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 a misstep reality. There's aspects that are still true, yes, but there, there's moments where there's a transition that happens to where the same things just don't work for you anymore. And the relationship adapts and changes, and you have to, you have to adapt to those changes or you're going to start getting frustrated with your relationship with God. And that's why so many people end up abandoning their faith only after a, a year or two, even just nine months, because once it changes, they think, well, I don't feel the same way I used to feel when I would go to church. So I'm just going to stop going. It doesn't do it for me anymore. You have to adapt. You have to realize that it's happening. And so now that we understand that relationships are not meant to stay the same, that no one is forever, um, it, when I say that, I mean no relationship is meant to stay the same forever. Um, 
The next idea I want us to, to be open-minded about is the idea of being fruitful. And I want us to look at relationships through the analogy of them being like fruit trees, okay? And good relationships can spoil and bad ones can ripen. Good relationships can spoil and bad ones can ripen. What do I mean by that is that we have to simply keep an open mind about the relationships we have and don't have with people. Sweet things can turn sour and sour things can turn sweet. And anyone that has graduated high school can, can remember people that you had really good relationships with. And as soon as you graduated high school, go off to college or just really start doing life, you never talk to those people again. It, it's so many times that happens. And we try to hold, uh, sometimes we try to hold on to a relationship that was once fruitful in our life. Have you ever felt a loyalty to somebody that you were good friends with? And all of a sudden, you're, you're in this place where that relationship is not yielding the same kind of positivity or energy or whatever good. It's not yielding that in your life anymore. And in fact, the only reason that you're still trying to pour into that relationship is because of loyalty or time invested in that relationship. There is so many unhealthy um, romantic relationships that people are in that the only reason that they're in is because, well, I've already spent so many years with this dude. I've, I've already spent so many years with this person. If I back out now, it's just years wasted. And... That's like a, like a bad gambling mindset, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I only have $50 left, but I've already lost hundreds. I, just, I should just go ahead and like, maybe it will have a payoff. And anyone that's been to a casino would know that you just end up losing that last $50. You don't get a payoff. You just lose it all. There might be moments where you get a little bit back and you think, oh, it's going to get better. And then you lose everything again. And what I'm saying is, don't let those those ideas cause uh, uh, about re those relationships cause you to to simply ignore the fact that that relationship is spoiled now. There there's certain relationships. Not every relationship does that. There's some relationships that truly can be lifetime friends that could be just. It's almost like um, as you change, so do they. It's like the relationship continues to develop and grow. But there's often times where it's just y'all don't connect anymore and it if you continue to try to to hold on trying to give the same amount of energy the same amount of um uh focus like you you're you're trying to grow something it'll just continue to drain you and even make you feel sick when you try to eat from the fruit of that relationship some of y'all might even be thinking about people right now in your lives to where it's like they were once a really good friend, but now whenever you talk to them, you, you almost feel like ugly afterwards or you feel drained afterwards. You don't feel like anything good comes from it. it even for me, there's, there's certain friends I, I, that I have had um, that I acquired like over giving my life to Christ and finding new friends to where at one point it was like, man, finally I have a Christian friend that I can talk to. But even as I became a pastor, my problems became different than their problems. And it's like I could no longer talk about things like I used to be able to talk with them about. And so it, it's like that relationship was no longer uh, as benefiting as it once was. And it doesn't mean that you're just, I'm not talking about just like cutting people off and like treating them badly. I'm talking about putting your energy and focus into things that aren't benefiting your life anymore. Y'all get what I'm saying? It's not if they, you know, it's not bad to to care about them or anything like that. But I'm talking about putting unnecessary expectations, unnecessary energy when you might need to be de uh, devoting that energy and expectation somewhere else. And the the other part of this that I'm saying is, you know, relating it to a tree. Some uh, some fruit just simply goes bad. It was is once giving good fruit, but all of a sudden it started tasting sour. And the same goes that uh, for for the trees that were once sour. 
Um, and for the ones that go bad, it you know we can appreciate and remember the good times and appreciate that friend still, that relationship, whatever it was. Even if it was a romantic relationship, you can end it and still appreciate it. You get what I mean? It, but it's about leaving it in the ground. And when you when you drop this fruit, I want you to, again, imagine this like a, a fruit tree. If you drop this relationship that's not good for you anymore, it's making you feel sick, and you leave it on the ground instead of your hand, if it's in your hands, it's just going to continue to rot. But if you leave it in the ground, it gives chance for it to grow again after time. There might be uh, friendships that you just lay down for a while, and in a, in a couple years, they might it might grow into a fruitful relationship again. But don't, stop spending unnecessary, exhaustive uh, moments when when and you're just feeling left confused and drained. And in the same way, sometimes people that we never thought would be positive roles in our lives can end up becoming our rocks. God has a funny way of redemption working in multiple facets during our lives. And even for me, I remember um, I, I've shared with you guys about how I've gone to a ministry internship when I, when I first gave my life to Christ. And uh, it, there's, a, there's a guy that also went there, and we, we lived in the same dorm, and we literally got into a physical fight one time. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I physically fought multiple people intentionally. <laughs> But this one was out of like, uh, like out of an emotional moment to where we both got mad at each other. It was probably the only time where, where something like that happened. All the other ones, I just didn't like them and I was ready to, <laughs> to look for an opportunity. But in, this, in the moment that where we got into this like fight, it was like, you know, as Christians, you know, you squash it there and you just move on. And I remember when I was a youth pastor, years later, I took our youth group to a conference in Dallas. And it was like a big church. And we took like 50 kids. And it was a great time. And while we were there, randomly see this guy. You know, it, we, were in, we met in Baton Rouge. Everyone was from different parts of the U.S. And all of a sudden, I show up years later. And I run into this guy. And he's serving at this church. And... Like within the first 30 seconds, um, he had made a comment about something and me and him immediately started arguing. It's <laughs> like, it's like it, it all from my perspective, right? He started it. <laughs> um, but it was like, it was almost like we, we picked up our frustration exactly where we left off. And, and then uh, now that we're, again, years later, started church and he re we reconnected. And now he's, uh, we've been like a great, uh, we like have found this great friendship. We've both changed over the years. And uh, he's been like a, a source of encouragement for me. He's even spoken at our church before. You know, it's like been a valuable relationship now. And it's, it's a very sweet relationship. While before it was sour. And so God's redemption is so good that it, we, we don't have to count anyone out. Notice how at the same time that I'm saying you might have to drop a couple of relationships, I'm also saying that bad relationships can become good. And so we, we, need to, we need to really just take a step back and look at what is draining us and what is giving us life. Y'all feel what I'm saying? What is good fruit and what is sour fruit? And just simply eat what's good. It's that simple. And if we take a step back, I really feel like Christians are the weirdest people when it comes to relationships. Most with romantic relationships, Christians are like just super weird and like dumb on things. And, and then it also applies to just like general friendships. Like, I don't know why I've, I've never heard just a, a regular person asking advice about friends ever. But when it comes to a Christian friendship, it's like, well, you know, I just don't know what God is wanting me to do. And it's like, dude, like, like you have free will. <laughs> like, try, like, just start with common sense. Like, you don't have to be a, like a scientist to figure it out. And, you know, in this, and with all that I'm saying, um, you you just need to look at the energy you give out as valuable, and then pour that energy into the relationships that are truly fruitful and healthy right now. Notice that I'm talking about right now, because it will change. Things change. And there are times where if we take one more analogy, 
and look at these relationships like uh, like bodies of water, a healthy friendship or a healthy relationship in almost uh, in almost any relationship type, from marriage to to family to even business, is is an idea of a river, a relationship that can that can take and give. Give and take. It's a river that flows. Sometimes it might flow slower. Sometimes it might flow faster. But it always flows. An unhealthy relationship feels a lot more like a swamp. Something that you just give into and it never gives back. It, it just takes but never gives. And what happens in those swamps? It begins to stink. It, only very few things can grow there and they're usually nasty things like alligators and mosquitoes. And so in the same way, recognize that in, your, in the relationships you're evaluating and just look at like which relationship stinks in my life right now. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And all that to say, we need to open our hands. I want us to, we, we've talked about how we need to realize things that every relationship changes. We talked about how we need to be open-minded about these relationships and now I want us to be optimistic because you can't grasp what's in the future if you keep holding on to the past that was good right yeah I even I worded this a couple times until I got it just right I was like there we go and I want to say it again you can't grasp what's in the future if you keep holding on to the past and when it comes to relationships, I think that this story really exemplifies the, the idea of letting go and the idea of, possi- uh, of what possibilities would happen if, you're, if you let go. This is a story of, of Paul, and I'm going to read the scripture and then explain. It says in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit... Each city we, where we previously preached the word of the Lord. So to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in uh, Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. This is a very symbolic moment. This is, uh, this is when Paul was about to go on his second missionary journey. And Barnabas was with Paul from the very beginning. Even the point where Paul, when Paul first gave his life to Christ, and the most radical conversions that we see in Scripture... Paul gives his life to Christ, once a murderer of Christians, becoming a Christian himself. And Barnabas was the one that defended him to the other believers that didn't believe he was a genuine convert. Barnabas was actually the only rock friendship that he had that's described in Scripture. And it was Barnabas that was with Paul all throughout the beginning, his early days as a Christian, uh, even for their first missionary journey. Think about a missionary journey in, in our time uh, in church and churchianity is get a $3,000 plane ticket to go do nothing somewhere else and feel bad for other people and then come back feeling better about yourself. This, this moment in time, it was like a year-long event to where just to travel, they're walking and going by boat. And going by boat, even it describes in, Paul's, uh, in one of Paul's journeys that they almost died. He's been shipwrecked just because... Think about the, the equipment and technology back then. A storm comes in that unexpectedly and it would throw them all off. And so they went through some stuff. They, they literally were persecuted and beaten together. I mean, I, for me, the friendships that were the hardest for me to let go is the people that I knew would get jumped for me. The, you know, that, that's like, that's real level friend. <laughs> and, or just a gang, I don't know. But... <laughs> So that's, that's literally how close Paul and Barnabas were. They were not just acquaintances. They were deep friends. Okay? And in this moment, John Mark, 
he went with them on the first missionary journey, but because the journey was so rigorous, he ended up leaving and going back home. And so in this moment where they're about to go back and do it all again, Paul says, I'm not going to take that guy. We, it, it really was hard to bring all the resources for him, to plan all this work. And when he left, we were one short person for the work that we had to do. And he didn't want to have to go through that again. He's like, he already lost his, his part. He can go with someone else. And Barnabas was discreet, disagreed so strongly. I mean, that was just Barnabas's heart. His heart was like truly redemption. That's what he was for Paul. That's what he was for Mark. And they disagreed so sharply that they separated. Good friends. They, they were better friends than any best friend that we could ever have. I'm going to just say that right now. And they separated because they disagreed so strongly. Because it was a philosophical disagreement. And it says, Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took Silas. For the next two missionary journeys that Paul goes on, Silas is with him. It was Silas that we are most well known with when it said when Paul and Silas sang in the prison cells and God performed a miracle to where all the prison cell doors were open and they converted the guard to Christ because he was about to kill himself. It's like all of the a lot of the major stories that we hear of like uh, special miraculous things happens in the second and third missionary journeys, um, and. That was with Paul and Silas. And we see how Silas was, became an amazing friend to Paul, a valuable relationship, and helped further the gospel message in incredible ways. John Mark, you might recognize his name from the book of Mark. He, he ends up writing a quarter of the gospels. Think about that. If, if Barnabas would have never separated from Paul, the book of Mark would never have been written. Y'all get what I'm saying? And all that, all that else goes, that goes in with the work that Barnabas and Mark did, even later in Paul's letters, he writes about how he, uh, to bring John Mark, to let him know I'm, uh, that I miss him. So they obviously have this reconnection moment years later, and they were able to find health in that relationship once again. But if they didn't lay that fruit down in the ground when it was unhealthy, when there was a disagreement, they would have never been able to access the potential of the future. If they would have just held on to it like out of, uh, out of time invested or loyalty's sake, it would have been still stunted. Because they had, and it would have most likely still ended in that disagreement because there's a philosophical disagreement. It would have just caused more frustrations later. But because they were willing to love each other from afar and recognize that that relationship was not healthy at that time, they were able to be mature about it and just allow that distance to, to cause that fruit to grow once again later on. We become so tunnel vision with relationships that we forget that there are a lot of people in the world. There's a lot of people in the world. We convince ourselves of truly silly ideas like, I'll never find anyone like them again. I'm never going to find a friend like that again. Never, never going to find a girlfriend like that again. Never going to find a boyfriend like that again. It's simply not true. It's not true. You may even find someone that is even better. I want you to take a moment to understand that your world perspective is completely limited. If I were to say everyone that I know believes this, it would be the most insignificant study <laughs> in the world. Oh wait, that's how most uh, Facebook debates start. <laughs> that is actually the, the worst argument ever made because it narrows the perspective to one individual and their limited worldview. Even just, I have, I live in the South. I have friends that live in the North. And when we talk about things that are like important, even political ideas, they're completely different because our worldviews and perspectives are limited to our culture. The North is literally like a completely different country compared to the South. Even just from California to Texas, people, when I talk to people from California, they're like, it's crazy. People say hello to me here. It's like, that's just... <laughs> That's just normal. But it, I'm talking about our perspectives are so limited. 
incredibly limited. And if we were to really just understand that we don't know everybody, could you go to a restaurant right now and know everybody in the room at random? No. You don't know anything about them actually. You, you could even, you can make some assumptions or look at people. You could even judge them by the color of their skin or by the way they dress and you can make an assumption, but you would still be limited in your reasoning to only your perspective and you would uh, most likely be completely wrong. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so if we could grasp that we're simply, we don't know everything and we don't know everyone, then you can really grasp the idea that you can find someone else. You don't have to continue to feed an unhealthy relationship in your life that, that is simply draining you. That's not healthy. Y'all dig what I'm saying? There's certain relationships that, that we can't change who they are, but we can change how we respond to them. For example, a, a marriage or a family. You can't really choose different family members, right? <laughs> and, and we're not supposed to choose different spouses. Um, sometimes it's out of our control, but when it comes to a marriage, that relationship is different than a friend relationship. When it comes to a boyfriend-girlfriend, that relationship is different than a marriage. You're not married until you're married. You don't have an obligation to that person until you're married. Y'all dig what I'm saying? But everything... All of this to say, we need to be optimistic in how we look at these relationships. Perhaps that person was perfect for that season of your life, but won't be that good for you in the next season that you're walking into. And the same goes for the person that you're trying to hold, hold on to. Emotional history is good and can be healthy, but it shouldn't be the determining factor for the direction of your future. It, if you really feel torn about a relationship that you think may not be healthy for you anymore, you should ask God about it. Just talk to God about it. We're, we get so stuck in our past that we can't walk into our future. And I'm not talking about like this idea of this perfect future for you where you're a millionaire. I'm, I'm talking about simply going into the future, like going to the next season of your life, pursuing happiness, you know, just growing as an individual. And we hold on to so much emotional baggage from our past that we simply can't even move past 2015. We, we just can't move past certain years of our lives because we're holding on to it. And there's a lot to find out there. There's a lot to grow in and you can find so much more health and positive relationships rather than just staying stuck in these ones that are just simply dead. Y'all feel me? And as we close on that thought, I, I want to share one of our aspirational values is never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. Never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. If you really are at a point where a relationship, you, you prayed about it, you thought about it, it's been uh, several days and you're like, I think it's time, and you just need to stop pouring energy into a relationship, and you're scared, add, before you think about all the what-ifs, well, what if I never find a friend that I can talk to again? What if I never can uh, do this or do that? Add the power of God to it first. God, you can send me the person I need in the next season of my life. Add the power of God to it first. And then when it comes to family relationships or a marital relationship, I mean, I think that's when it comes to marriage counseling, me and my wife have done a lot of marriage counseling for couples. And the biggest thing that couples uh, fail to see before they get to talking with us is simply assuming the uh, uh, looking at the result with the power of God. Well, I just uh, I just cannot see him the way I used to see him. I just could never love them again. Well, adding the power of God to it can really make a big difference. And that and that goes the same for family relationships. There's some broken, messed up, jacked up family stories 
people that you family members that we really don't want to talk to and I'm not even advocating that you should talk to them again but there's there's some that are repairable some aren't I'm gonna be straight up some you really shouldn't talk to them again but there are some that are repairable but we and there's something within us that feels it but we don't know how and I'm telling you those are those are the moments where I'm saying add the power of God to it first and most important relationship is that of us and Jesus. So many of us have gotten to lows, real low points in our lives. And when we think about our faith and our relationship with God, we really cannot even see past today. You think about what, you, what your faith was like at one time. You think, I, I just can't even imagine being that on fire again. I can't, I can't imagine my faith being strong like that again. I, I can't even, I, I don't think I'll ever be close to God like that again. Those are the moments that are most important because truly, as our relationship with God does change, it, it has so much potential to grow into something better than you have ever expected. And the moments of extreme pain for me, I remember moments where just um, in just in an extreme poverty and when I was doing commission sales and finally thinking that I made enough money to pay a bill <laughs> and waking up to see that the person canceled or to see that the equipment, uh, the equipment cost more. And that I remember one time specifically that I was expecting a large amount. And when I got the receipt back for the invoice of my payment, it was in the negative. And being in poverty, being poor and being super broke, I remember uh, waking, this is the first thing I woke up to, leaning over to my pillow and, and kind of making a grunting sound because I wanted to scream, but uh, my daughter was asleep. <laughs> And I didn't want to freak out the foster kids in the other room. <laughs> and so I just made this like, <clears throat> and Lauren was like, babe, what's wrong? Are you okay? What, what is it? And I was just like, couldn't even talk because I was shaking angry. And I'm not just talking like, like, oh, we don't have enough money to go out. I'm talking about like, we don't have enough money to pay our electricity or, or this or that. And I don't know how we're going to make it next month. And I have like 50 kids to feed. And I remember just uh, laying back down um, and trying to like let the, the, the shakes leave and just thinking in my head, F you, God. And it was just like just a moment where it's just like that's all I could think. And everything stopped at that moment in this moment of extreme stress, pain. I'm starting a church, God. Shouldn't you be providing for me? What's going on? Everything just kind of went away for a moment and the story of Job came to my heart. And about everything that he went through, says he did not curse God in his heart. And I finally understood what that meant. And I thought, and I, right at that moment, it's like that relationship with me and God was so bitter right before that moment. It was already building up because that relationship was changing. It wasn't just rainbows and butterflies, all, all on faith. It's God's going to provide it. It's going to work out. It was like a very downhill spiral of being frustrated and angry with God and all the problems I was facing and blaming him for it. And all of a sudden at this moment of it, where it was all like peaking and it was turning into this big, ugly pot that was about to boil over. And in that moment, I thought, how am I supposed to, How's this relationship with me and God supposed to get better after I just told my creator um, blasphemy? <laughs> I just uh, used an obscenity to talk to my God. And at that moment, I said, God, it didn't take very much for, you to for, for, for me to curse you in my heart. It didn't take very much. You know, it was just like, that's all I could say. And instead of God uh, looking back at me and saying, yep. <laughs> or smiting me, throwing a thunderbolt at me, paint, just giving me a visual image of Jesus on the cross and saying, yeah, and I did this for you. Didn't rub anything in my face, didn't make me feel any kind of uh, 
uh, extra guilt, even though I deserved uh, all kinds of remorse and guilt. It, it, none of that came to mind. I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, it's okay, I know. It was like this, just still, this quiet understanding. And from that moment, in a moment where it's, like I said, boiling over rage, how is this going to get any better? The peak of my uh, dissatisfaction with God. How could it get any better? Adding the power of God to it is so much better. Not only from that moment, but even from the moment I first gave my life to Christ. It's the best. It could be right now. And it will get better. And I say all that to, for you to think about whatever your relationship with God looks like right now at this moment. We, we go through different things in life. Our life changes. And if we can see God truly as He says He is, even just that one part that I described with knowing that God understood my frustration and pain, sometimes that's where like we feel most distant from God, like He doesn't understand. But did you know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is the... that he has a spirit of understanding. It says that he has a spirit of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. A lot of times we associate understanding with knowledge and wisdom. No, that's, that's completely different. Knowledge and wisdom is knowledge and wisdom. Understanding is actually perspective. Meaning that God truly knows how you feel. God truly knows your situation. He actually... He even knows when something is genuinely harder for you than it is for somebody else. That's understanding. And so if we could take a step back and realize that even part of God's nature is to love us with understanding, then we can work through our relationship with Him and all of these other relationships too. Because God loves us and God loves you. No matter how angry we may feel, no matter what we're going through, it is true. And so I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And as I'm sharing this message, I know that there's a lot of you that are going back to those moments with you and God. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is is saying that there's a lot of us in the room that have never really addressed anything from those moments. We've never really talked to God about it. We just kind of swept it under the rug like we do with all of our other unhealthy relationships. We'll just forget about it and move on. And even right now, you're feeling the emotions that you that you that are connected to that moment of time. And God is simply trying to tell you, you can talk to me. You can tell me how you really feel. And if you're here and you need to have that conversation with God to to yourself, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. You know, in Romans, it says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God who resurrected from the dead, surely we shall be saved. And it sounds like a step-by-step thing that we have to do. But when you look at all the unpack, when you unpack all the scripture, it consistently just tells us to talk to God with a genuine heart, an authentic heart. When you look at even David, and I want us to keep this this attitude of of deep thought and reverence. When you look at even David in Scripture, he was God called him a man after God's own heart. And when you look at the things that he did, he was not perfect by far. Not only did did he kill thousands of people as a as a soldier. He, was, he murdered, committed adultery, took on multiple wives when the Bible told him not to. He was not perfect. 
But what made him stand out and what makes all these other great people of faith stand out in Scripture is not that they, that they were the most righteous before God, but that they were the most transparent. When you look at the way David talked to God, when you look at, throughout the Psalms, which most of which David wrote, he's not saying incredibly uh, holy things, or even accurate things. He is crying out to God with a heart, and, and a heart of anguish at times, a heart of joy at other times, a heart of pain and bitterness. There's Psalms where David says, God, I want you to kill my enemies and kill their children too. <laughs> That's not God's heart. The Bible says that he doesn't punish children for the sins of their parents. But that's how angry David was. That even in his prayers, he was so transparent about even the bitterness of his heart, his anger. All the things that we typically hide, he was open about. And so I share all that to say, I want you to have a moment where you talk to God. Stop holding back your, with these pretty prayers Stop trying to sound like the old King James Bible as you pray. Just talk normal and talk to God. And if you have the authentic conversation with him right now, you're fulfilling exactly what it says in the book of Romans. And I want you to all to just have your own moment right now as we're quiet and as we're having this serious moment and um, and as you do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. We love you. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.